Hello everyone and welcome to Studyama's Historia. This is your host, Brian Kamer, and today we are beginning our first series of podcasts presenting the presidents with, well, our first president, George Washington. He was born on February the 11th or 22nd in 1731 or 1732, depending on which calendar you use. The colonies at the time were using the Julian calendar when Washington was born and recognized March 25th at the time as New Year's Day. This all changed in 1752 to the Gregorian calendar, forcing everything to be moved 11 days further into the future, and New Year's Day was changed from March 25th to January 1st, thus bringing Washington's birthday into 1732 rather than 1731 and moving it from the 11th to the 22nd. So pick which one I guess you want to do there. He was of English ancestry, his great-grandfather having moved to the colonies in the 1600s, he served in the British Army uh, during the French and Indian War, more on that later, America's uh, name for the Seven Years' War, obviously, and led American forces against the British during the American Revolution, which I'm sure you knew that part. And at the time, many of the rebellious colonial leaders didn't actually want Washington to be the one in command. The representatives from New England, you know, where the revolution kind of began, they wanted either Samuel Adams or John Hancock to lead the new Continental Army. Well, why do you think they would want this? But they were considered to be the leaders of a rebellion. Samuel Adams was a leader in the Sons of Liberty that had been fanning the flames of revolution for years in the Boston area. Washington hadn't really done much in getting the revolution started. Adams and Hancock had already become marked men at this point, being the only two members of the rebellion in Massachusetts to not be offered a pardon. John Adams, who was actually cousin to Samuel Adams and the future vice president under George Washington, wanted the Virginian to lead the new army, believing Washington to be a great leader. At the time, the New Englanders who were skeptical of Washington, well, they kind of had every reason to be so. Joseph Ellis, in his book His Excellency George Washington, claims Washington lost more battles than any victorious general in modern history. The truth in this sentiment is actually quite intriguing. 1754 at Fort Necessity, Washington, a young commander in the British Army at the time, executed a poor battle plan that led to his only surrender in his career, the British loss of the Monongahela River to the French, and the beginning of the French and Indian War. Then in 1755 in the Braddock Expedition, Colonel Washington took part in the ill-fated attempt by General Edward Braddock to capture the French Fort Duquesne. Braddock ended up getting killed by friendly fire during the engagement, and the 23-year-old Washington helped organize the retreat from the battlefield. And then even after they decided to appoint him as the new commander-in-chief of the American Army during the American Revolution, he lost battles then too, uh, at Brandywine and Germantown in 1777, back-to-back -back losses that resulted in the capture of the colonial capital of Philadelphia, and then in 1776 at White Plains and Kipps Bay, where Washington lost control of New York City, one of the busiest ports under colonial control at the time. Criticism of Washington's losses were legitimate, but he was able to cobble together enough victories and foreign support to win the war. One thing Washington also couldn't win at first was love. He fell in love with Sally Fairfax, his best friend George Fairfax's wife, and wrote her a letter historians call the Votary of Love, where he admitted his feelings for her. She obviously rejected him, and he later married Martha Custis, a wealthy widow with two children. Speaking of letters, Washington was borderline obsessed with writing them pinning between 18 and 20,000 letters, averaging over a letter a day between age 18 and his death at age 67. This according to WashingtonPapers.org. For all his letter writing, though, 
He was not an avid public speaker, probably due to the fact that he had false teeth. No, they were not made of wood, but they were made from hippopotamus ivory, metal, his own teeth, and potentially teeth from slaves held at Mount Vernon, his plantation in Virginia. One thing that wasn't fake was his hair. He never wore a wig, but powdered his hair later in life to blend in with the fashion of the day. He was actually naturally a redhead, as were Jefferson, Jackson, Van Buren, and others. Part of his dental issues could have been the result of consuming too many enamel-destroying foods, particularly ice cream and whiskey. In 1790, a New York merchant recorded that Washington spent $200 on ice cream that summer, the equivalent of $6,300 today, or 1,260 pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then in 1798, Washington installed a distillery at Mount Vernon that produced 12,000 gallons a year of whiskey. He also survived a miraculous, um, or had a miraculous survival during the Braddock Expedition. In 1755, while serving under General Braddock, Washington's unit accidentally found itself caught in a crossfire between their fellow British soldiers and the French. Washington, after the retreat mentioned earlier, returned to camp to find four bullet holes in his coat. None of them had hit him. You have another one in your hat, sir, a young recruit mentioned to him. He removed his hat, and sure enough, there was a bullet hole in it. Not only that, Washington also had two horses shot out from under him during the course of the battle. On the topic of animals, too, Washington loved dogs. He is credited by the American Kennel Club as being the father of the American foxhound as Mount Vernon was where, through Washington's breeding of English foxhounds for certain characteristics, that the breed began to separate itself from its English cousin. He kept around 30 dogs at any given time at his estate. This is factual, but the cherry tree story was a myth. Parson Weems, writing a biography of Washington shortly after his death in 1799, created the story as a way to convey Washington's penchant for honesty and integrity at a young age. Looking at his accolades, the U.S. Congress in 1976, as part of America's bicentennial celebration, named Washington the General of the Armies of the United States, the highest ranking ever given by the American military up to that point and in the future. So I hope you've enjoyed this look into George Washington, and I hope to see you back next week as we study into another famous, famous president, not famous, famous president, who may or may not have been known for his honesty as well. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.